Good morning to you, our church family. We're glad to welcome you into our living room here with our family. I wish that I could have let you see some of the fun we had preparing to be able to share this scripture with you. Psalm 61 is where we're reading this morning. If you want to turn in your Bibles, this is a Psalm of David. And I want to give you two thoughts about this Psalm before we actually read the eight short verses that are in it. One, in order to give you some context, uh, this is not only a Psalm of David, but probably really is a Psalm when David was returning from exile after having been expelled by Absalom. So you feel the angst and the, and the pressure of David as he's really seeking to come to a place, a rock, uh, a refuge, when he's been an outcast. And the second thing is something from a commentator that I thought was useful as an image of what was taking place here. And, and the commentator says this, the language is very remarkable here in verse 2. It gives us the idea of a man suffering shipwreck. The vessel in which he has been sailing has sunk. He has been plunged into the mighty ocean, and there he is buffeting the waves, struggling for life, panting for breath, and just about to give up all for lost. Suddenly he discovers a rock towering above him. If he can but climb up to the top of it and get sure footing upon it, the billows will not be able to reach him, and he will be safe. Now the prayer in our text is the cry of that poor wretch for help. He is so spent and exhausted that he cannot reach the rock himself. He shouts aloud for the friendly hand of someone stronger than himself, or for a rope that may be flung to him by those who are already safe on the rock, if by these helps he may gain it. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. So let's read together Psalm 61. Psalm 61 begins with the inscription to the choir master with stringed instruments of David. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I will cry to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. Amen. Now the key word in this psalm that we see in verse 2 is faint. It really sheds the whole idea behind the psalms. The particular word for faint in Hebrew means to be wrapped in utter darkness. Thinking about that word, it also brought to mind exactly what Rob was saying as he clued us in to some of the keys of this psalm. And that is this, is I remember uh, one of the first times I went off to Bible college, we were at a beach and we were uh, swimming out there in the ocean in the beach and we were also body surfing. One of the amazing things was, is we could be out and it'd be like 20 feet deep, you could see down and I could remember thinking, uh, having flutters in my heart about whether or not there was a shark. And, and um, I thought that was the most that I would be scared about was whether or not there was a shark there. And 
an ease became, began to come over me as I began to think, well, there's hundreds of people out here with me, so what are the odds that a shark will find me? And I'm body surfing, and, and I realized as I came flying in on this wave that it went from 20 feet deep with a big uh, six to eight foot wave came crashing down into the sand. So we went from 20 feet to almost nothing. But the thing is, is that as the wave curled, my body flung into the sand. It drove me back under and pulled me and ripped me, why they call it a riptide, ripped me back out into the ocean. But I was spinning like a spin cycle. Imagine being in your, in your wash machine, just never stopping, spinning. And you wonder if you're going to be able to find air again. Once my feet finally hit the sand, I remember just launching myself uh, up because I knew where bottom was and, and I gasped for air when I hit the surface about another 30 feet away from the shore. And I decided at that point that uh, I'm going to try it again. <laughs> I was a glutton for punishment. Here's the thing. I, that instant when I couldn't find air and I couldn't figure out which way is up is exactly what this word faint means. To be in utter dis despair, to be choking, to be, to be drowning in the circumstances where your heart is just giving up. It feels feeble. Psalm 61 is a prayer made from that heart, that faint heart that is surrounded by dark circumstances. It is a prayer of a believer who felt all alone and is afraid. That's where we find David. And that is, this, it, that is the main point of what we see. When a faithful believer finds himself with a fainting heart, surrounded by things that make him feel alone and afraid, he can pray to God knowing God hears and God cares. This probably wasn't the first time that David felt overwhelmed. If you turn to 1 Samuel 16 and verse 11, we'll see that David is a shepherd boy. And, and you think about being a shepherd as he's out carrying the sheep all by himself as a young boy. I, th I think of sending my little ones out to feed our animals. And I know that they rejoice when I send them out with their older siblings. But when they're out by themselves, they, they don't like to do it because they're alone. David probably felt lonely at times as a shepherd boy. And in 1 Samuel 17... We also see David encountered both a lion and a bear. And, and you can imagine as he's a shepherd and as he faces these lions and he faces a bear, he feels, or a wolf, he, he probably had a sense of fear that overwhelmed him. Are you overwhelmed by fear? Or are you maybe overwhelmed by loneliness? David also in his life in 1 Samuel 18 tells us that David faced opposition from a jealous king. King Saul, who, who wanted to kill him. Not only was Saul jealous, but King Saul sought to kill David. Can you imagine how overwhelmed David felt as he fleed for his life? How about this? In 2 Samuel 11, David sins. He commits adultery with Bathsheba. He even murders her husband, Uriah the Hittite. Can you imagine how overwhelmed David must have felt in the grief of his sin? Not knowing exactly how to deal with it at the time, 
He's feeling the consequences of his sin. So he cries out to God because he's overwhelmed. He's overwhelmed with the consequences as he loses his firstborn son. It doesn't end just there in 2 Samuel 15. It tells us that now Absalom, David's oldest, David's beloved, David's son, whom he loves, turns against David, steals the heart of Israel, and pulls Israel away from David, and seeks to destroy David, removes David from the throne, tries to set himself up as the new king. Don't you just imagine David is overwhelmed by the betrayal of his son, overwhelmed by losing the kingdom? People that he once thought loved David now are against him. How about after the rebellion? It tells us that David even longed for his son. He longed more for his son than he longed for the kingdom. And here he, David is in exile, hiding in the desert, in rocks. And again, afraid for his life. And yet David is overwhelmed when he hears the news that his son has been killed. It crushed David. He's overwhelmed. And David now is overwhelmed thinking, do I even return? Do I even go back to being the king in Jerusalem? Do I return from exile? This is where all the theologians and most students believe this is where Psalm 61 has been written as David is crushed. So what did David do when his heart became overwhelmed? And I want to tell you it's the same thing that we should do when our hearts become overwhelmed. I'm praying that this psalm teaches you much and encourages you greatly. There are three main points to this psalm. You can dissect it in several different ways, and I chose it to, to condense it into just these three. And that's David's prayer. We want to look at that. And David's peace. Where did that come from? And David's praise, and why is he praising God now? David's prayer, David's peace, and David's praise. Let's look at David's prayer. David's prayer. What do we do when we feel faint? In verses 1 through 2, we see that this great prayer from a faint heart, this prayer was from the heart that cries out to God for help. In fact, the word cry indicates a very emotional, piercing cry of help to God. It, my mind was brought to James chapter 5 and verse 16, where it says the effectual fervent prayer, that idea of a fervent cry, the fervent prayer of a, of a righteous man avails much. This verse is taken out of context a lot, thinking that maybe our, our fervent cries and, and pleading to God changes God. Literally, this verse, if we were to dissect it in the Greek, it literally says this, much will the powerful prayer of the righteous accomplish in the righteous. Much will the powerful prayer of the righteous accomplish in the righteous. It assumed by so many that we change God, but in, in the utter cry, our heart begins to change. In our utter cry, we reach out to God with our whole heart, and God changes that heart. And that is exactly what God is doing as God begins to take this 
utter cry from a opened, completely open heart to God, and God begins to change that heart. God changes our heart so that way we can see him. Jeremiah 29, 12-13 says, Then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will listen to you, and you shall seek me and find me, and you shall reach for me with all of your heart. As that verse was written when Israel is in utter crying out because they've been taken away and they're surrounded by their enemies. And the point is here is in our text, it's at this point, our prayer of despair that David, he's gasping. You know, you can imagine that David is being turned over by the waves and, and he's drowning in his being overwhelmed and in his sorrow and his heart is ready to give up and he's crying out with the only thing he has left and that is he's opened up his heart to God and God shows him a strong and mighty power. David recognizes in verse 2 that he needed power beyond himself. In verse 2 he says, when my heart is overwhelmed, God lead me to the rock that is higher than I. This is a theme of God as a rock, as Christ is our rock. We see it all through Scripture. In fact, it's David's, one of David's favorite themes is over 20 times he talks about that God is our rock. In fact, in the very next psalm, in Psalm 62, three times in there he says God is our rock. Of course, the rock is ultimately Jesus Christ our Lord. He is the rock that is higher than all. This is the rock that we need our hearts and our minds to be in, to be in Christ Jesus, to find peace. David realizes as he's drowning in the sorrows of the great sea that is turning him over and over, that nothing earthly could provide for him. Nothing in all of earth, it was just crashing in. The earth and the thoughts of the earth and all that's in the earth, the culture, everything about the earth and the things that we experience just made his heart worse. But yet there was that tower. There was God, who is our rock, Christ, our Lord. And he says, I need to be lifted up upon the rock. I need Christ, who is my rock. Charles Spurgeon said this about God, and it's true for us. It says, faith's greatest triumphs are achieved in our heaviest of trials. Faith's greatest triumphs are achieved in our heaviest of trials. God is fully capable of taking us in our lowest condition and raising us to the highest position. He is able to turn our sorrow into joy, our fear into courage, our weak faith into strong faith. When we find our heart is faint, we need to cry out with what we have left to God with no distractions. That is what David did, and that is what God wants us to do. So what do we do when we feel faint? We pray from a completely undistracted, open heart, looking and longing for Christ. You know what happens is a miracle as our heart is so overwhelmed, and, and as we cry out with that heart, that fainting heart, as we're drowning in the sorrows of this greatest sea, as David raised up and he says, Lord, I need you to lift me up upon the rock, the rock that is higher than I. 
his mind begins to open. Not only does God change our heart, but he also can change our mind. David's peace. I want us to look at David's peace in verses 3 through 7. David begins to change. Not only does God lift our hearts, but he lifts our minds. And ask this question, where do we find true peace? As we ask that question, where did David find his true peace? Do you see in verse 3? He says, you are my refuge. David remembered that God had been his refuge this whole time. This is a very significant lesson of faith that God, that all of us as God's people need to grasp that he is our refuge. David also remembered in verse 3 that, that the tower of strength was his. As he stands there looking at this great tower in the midst of the sea, this lighthouse, that it was his strength. Christ is our strength. Christ is our strong tower. Christ is also the prince of peace. This strong tower that is used for protection purposes also calms our hearts and helps us to provide our mind with great peace. God was and is the one who gave us his strength to endure and to succeed through Christ Jesus our Lord. David also goes on to remember in verse 4, he remembers that that God is his tent forever. Literally, that word tent means tabernacle, and that should open the eyes of many of you that have been in our, our Bible study and our adult Sunday school class. David remembers that God is his tabernacle, that, that God desires to fellowship and to enter into true togetherness. This should ring true as we remember that in John 1, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us dwelt as in tabernacle, together, that through Christ we have togetherness with God. David remembers, I have something so precious, this togetherness with God. David goes on to remember in verse 5 that he had made some promises, some vows, some promises, and, and that God takes his, his promises very seriously. And as we think about this, there is no way we can expect God to answer our prayers if we are living a double life, if, if we're breaking those promises. Think about this when we realize that we're sinners. In 1 John 1, 9, that if we ask for forgiveness, that means we repent and we turn from our sin. We're saying, God, I believe the same thing about my sin and, and I'm going to turn and, and I'm going to repent. In verse 5, he says, you've heard my vows, O God. And, and he remembers this truth and and that as he repents, that he remembers that this is, this is important. And if we are living a double standard, then how can we expect God to listen to our prayers? We need to be straight in our relationship with God. We need to be purposeful. We need to be seeking to remove our sin and repent before God. David remembers in the end of verse 5 that God has given him an, a heritage, and, and it's the same word that we use for inheritance. All of these things come flooding into God's from God into David's mind. Do you see what God is doing as, as, he's been lift, as David's been lifted up into the rock and as he's cried out to God, now his mind has begun to open and realize what he truly has and to remember all that God is doing and has done. And, he, and as David remembers in verses 6 and 7, he remembers these assurances that he has. In verse 6, it, it, it says, prolong the life of the king. And it looks like David is asking God to prolong his life. But, and the reality is, is that David is realizing that he has a prolonged life. 
because of the inheritance that God has given him. He knows and he is assured of this fact. Think about this as David's mind opens up to this, this great assurance in verse 6. You know, many wanted David dead, literally. In fact, many were trying to kill him, literally. Yet in the midst of all these threats, he's convinced they would not succeed. He's convinced because he has an assurance that comes from God that God will prolong his life for eternity. David knows that he needs to give his heart to the Lord. The other assurance we see in verse 7 is, is that he will abide with God forever. He will abide with God forever. It's a beautiful thing, as, as David says in verse 7, may he be enthroned forever before God, God appointed his steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. He realizes in his mind that he has this great assurance that his love will be with him forever. So where did David find peace? As he poured out his heart in prayer, that faint heart, he's opened his heart to the Lord and he's looking intently at God, the rock of his salvation. And his mind begins to change. God opens his mind to, to remember the truth about God. So where do we find peace? We look intently at God's faithful work. The work that's in the past and the work that is in the future. Looking at his assurance of his future promises that God has made to us. We look intently to God's work, to God's promises. I want to turn lastly to David's praise. So what is our response? When we open our heart, crying out to the Lord in honest prayer, as we begin to remember all that God is and what God has done and what God will do, and we have that great assurance of God's faithfulness. What, we have no choice, but we praise the Lord. The result of God's grace is that one of praise forever. Look at verse 8. So will I, David proclaims, I will sing praises to your name. These praises are not about how he feels. These praises are not where he's at. These praises have no earthly connection. These praises are solely about who God is, his very name. As I perform my vows day to day, as, as David performs his promises to live for God day by day, what is our response? It's this. It's a changed heart that is expressed by our praise to God. David is utterly changed. How true it may be for many of us to realize that our heart is in utter disrepair. That our heart is being squashed. And it has nothing to do with the coronavirus. It has nothing to do with the stay-at-home stay order. But it just has to do with the state of our heart. The circumstances that we now find us maybe have just helped uncover the state of our heart and the fact that we have drifted so far from God. And you know that you're drowning. Drowning for many other things. David had been overwhelmed many, time of his, many times in his life. And now he is drowning because of all the things surrounding his son. Maybe it's a combination of all of those things that brought David to this point. Whatever it is, God says that David is a man after God's own heart. Think about it. Jesus 
came to earth to die, to be rose again, to rise again, to conquer death. God demonstrated his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I can only imagine as, as Jesus is sitting there on the cross, as he's dying for our sin, as he takes the overwhelming sentence of death, that crushing weight of sin upon his shoulders. I can't help but the fact that his heart feels faint. And he cries out to God. Eli, Eli, Sebekton. My God, my God, where, why have you forsaken me? But he cries out, and I can only imagine what that was like for our Savior. See, I can think about when God says that David is a man after God's own heart because David reached out with his whole heart, undistracted heart that felt faint, utterly in despair. And I can see Christ saying, yep, I've been there. And I'm going to offer you comfort by reminding you what I have done. So this morning I would ask that, would you remember all that God has done and is doing for you? Would you just get back into God's word? Open your heart to the Lord. Allow him to comfort, encourage, change that heart that you might be able to sing his praises. Praises about the name of our Lord, the Prince of Peace, the God that is our refuge, our strength, our ever-present help in the time of need. The God that is the God of all comfort, that can sustain our life in the midst of any storm. May this truth of this amazing prayer bring you great comfort as we continue our studies in this unshakable truth that God is the unshakable rock that comes out and becomes our lighthouse to draw us ever closer to a faithful and true Let's pray. Lord, as we study this psalm and the psalms that are around it, I pray that you would lift our feet upon the rock. Lord, may we have our minds moved away from the despair and discouraging circumstances wherever we are at, whatever we face. And may we see this lighthouse, this strong tower. May Christ become our all in all. May we rejoice and may our hearts be lifted and changed and to the point where our mind is remembering all that you are doing, all that you will do. And may we continue to sing your praises as our lives are changed. And in doing so, may we proclaim your name to a dying generation all around us. May we be, remain faithful in proclaiming the one who truly is the rock, the stable one, the one that has redeemed us from our sin. We thank you and we praise you for your truth. In Jesus' name, amen.